Hi there. Great to be with you again. Um, this is Parenting Hacks Part 2. If you want to watch Part 1, you can find it somewhere in our... Um, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll put a link in the description or something to Wait, Part 1. No, we're just like really popular on social media. You'll, you'll find <laughs> us. We're on the TikTok. We're on all the things. This, this, you will find us. This is not true. I think... Well, I'm not even going to... I'm not even gonna say how many subscribers we have, but it's not very many. But that's and that's okay. And we we love the subscriber the subscribers that we have. This is Parenting Hacks Part Two. Uh, Lindsay did a very uh, thoughtful and creative thing, which was to reach out to the very small ad audience that we have and solicit some uh, some questions, um, kind of like a an Ask Me Anything, uh, an AMA. Yeah. Uh, and so you got some of these, and that's how we're that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna respond to some of the questions that that she got through social media. So, um, what questions do we have? All right, I'll surprise you. Let me see. Please do. Let's do okay. Fighting between siblings, uh, the ages that this person was talking about was toddler and pre-K, and it leads to meltdowns. Okay, okay. And, and like part of what, what we would do, and I don't speak for you, but what we would do in th a therapy if they were with us would be, Mom, how did you respond? Yeah, yeah, this is always very important. Uh, our, our mentor, Frank Walton, taught us that whenever you're hearing from a family about dysfunction uh, within a family, that you always want to ask, and then what happened? And then what happened? And so that you really get a full sequence rather than just this little thing that's kind of plucked out of the, the daily timeline. And you see how through all of that, he's remaining curious about, yeah. about the child. The child gets to, even if it is make-believe, there is truth within the make-believe. You'll get there if you just stay curious. If, if, you are, if you're a mental health professional, I think, you know, if there were one thing uh, that I could recommend uh, to mental health professionals across the board, and it would be to stay curious. Uh, there's something really powerful um, for clients about having an interested party, like a truly interested party who's curious about them. So, um, yeah, so certainly that's what we would ask. So we don't know all the details of what's going on in this case. I think some things that come to mind straight away for me, whenever I'm hearing about siblings fighting, one of the things that parents, um, this is not a super complicated explanation of why siblings fight, why kids fight with each other. But this is something that's often overlooked by parents, and, and that's me, too, as, as a parent. Uh, uh, we often fail to see that it's often to get the parent involved to win the attention of parents. Parents are, because we are, uh, because we love our children, because we want them to get along, because maybe even we have a desire to protect our children, um, sometimes even from each other, we are very apt to get very involved in sibling conflict. And um, what's kind of tragic about that is that sometimes... Uh, we can reinforce conflict um, simply by getting involved. So um, mom has to pick mom or dad or adult has to pick a winner and a loser. Yeah, yeah. So there's a competitive it, it value turns to it this into competitive. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Now I I want to state um, of course there are scenarios in which a parent may really genuinely need to intervene if there's you know a, a form, particularly a fairly serious form of physical violence that's going on between the children. Um, but one of the things I want to I want to recommend to parents across the board is as much as you can stay out of your children's fights, stay out of it, let them sort it out. Uh, on occasion, they may need some guidance where you could come in maybe even after the fact, and that's a really nice way to to avoid feeding into a, a, attention seeking behaviors, uh, attention seeking conflict from kids. But to come uh, afterwards, like, ooh, you know, that didn't go so well between uh, you and your sister earlier. Um, 
I have some thoughts, would you like to hear them? And then maybe they want to hear, and you can. here's where you can give them some guidance, maybe some language, uh, some way in which they can handle. So, you know, you are equipping them with some skills. You're not just leaving them to their own devices, but you're also finding a way to avoid maybe uh, unintentionally reinforcing conflict and fights between siblings by giving it a bunch of attention. Exactly. I don't know what else you, you might add or if you might flush that out a little bit. Well, I have this technique that I use when you have multiple children, like more than one even. Uh, if they really can't sort it out, you know, after like five, ten minutes and there's no blood being drawn or anything like that, then you could intervene but not solve. You could have each of them sit on the couch and they have to give each other permission to get off the couch in order to cooperate and figure it out and try it again. And so what they have to do is work towards cooperation instead of competition. There is a little competition in there at first, but like then they realize in order for me to have somebody to play with, I'm gonna need to let somebody else off the couch and you get to try again. Um, I do also, I like parents to be out of the room. We're not saying be completely like aloof of what your kids are doing. Like we know that you can hear them and you can peek around the corner. Uh, just to make sure no knives have been drawn, but um, <laughs> in general, like they're not going to want to kill each other. Like you would have seen a history of that before at that moment. Um, but sometimes, what I think even works better is when a parent sits in the room while they're having the conflict, uh, basically saying, "Like I trust that you will be able to handle and figure this out. You are capable, and you, you, I'm confident you guys are going to figure this out." Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm even thinking of. Uh, I mean, my kids. I, I have great kids, but of course like all siblings they they fight and then they come to me and you know maybe my daughter says well uh daddy truman did x you know and she's um she's got and uh i'll start by saying oh gosh that that sounds really tough uh so i am empathizing i'm not just trying to give her the impression i'm trying to get rid of her but i'll say um have you been able to talk with truman about this yet so I, and it's a curious way i'm not even suggesting well you know have you have you done it um, but I'm, I'm just like, oh, I don't know, you know, have you been able to talk with him about it yet? And then she'll often, she'll kind of look at the phone and she says, no. And then she turns right around and walks back out. And sometimes they go work it out. Sometimes they don't. Um, and I, I do want to be clear. We're just a little hampered by the general, general nature of this question. That's fine. It's perfectly appropriate. But of course we would need more details to make a really targeted, uh, recommendation about what a parent needs to do but generally this is kind of low-hanging fruit this is the stuff that we would want to look at straight away is there an attention-seeking component to this can a parent perhaps take a step back from intervening and kind of uh, refereeing um, between their kids which is not a dynamic that typically is helpful to um, to sibling dynamics so just a very general recommendation and uh, but yeah, if you're having a, a really tough situation, particularly when maybe there's physical, you know, serious physical violence involved, you might need to, uh, you know, get a, a little bit more hands-on help uh, so you can work with the specifics. Yeah, I just feel like the last thing we want our kids to learn, at least as a pattern, if it happens every now and then, which is going to, you're not a bad parent, that's just what kids do sometimes to work things out, is... I don't, I don't want them thinking they have to fight in order to make their place in the family, like fight for mm -hmm. the position, like literally fight for the position to be in the family. Like it, it doesn't have to work that way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And definitely it adds another layer on top when mom or dad or caregiver comes in and says, hey, stop doing that to your brother. Well, now you know who the winner and the loser is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it just... It is helpful in the sense that it goes quiet for a little while, so maybe that's what sure. you want. But <laughs> then hurt feelings, confused, and... Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. All right. So I hope we helped a little bit with that. What other What other questions do we have? Um, 
I, I did write that if it does, if danger does tend to happen, keep your mouth shut and just act, and you can talk about it later. Like if you do see dangerous okay, things yeah. going on, like we're not like, yeah, just fight to the death, kids. Yeah, par- parents often talk too much, and so just intervening with action rather than trying to referee with words uh, can <clears throat> typically be more helpful. Okay, second question. When your 12-year-old lies, like about spilled juice on the floor, I asked her if she spilled it, and she said no. So this mama looks like she's worried about lying about small stuff and perhaps big stuff lies in the future. Okay. Um, I'm just going to say, and this is not to shame, because I know who turned this in, and I love you. Um, (laughs) It is, and maybe I'm wrong here. I've never found an adult that has told me they did not lie as a child. Correct. I can't even think of an adult that doesn't continue to lie as an adult. And I just, sometimes it's kind of funny and interesting to bring this up with parents. Like, we want them to be, like, masterful at this thing about not lying when we're not even masters of it. Like, we yeah. do it. Um, and what's the quote? Like, a lie would serve no purpose if it didn't feel dangerous. Uh, a, a lie would have no sense just if the truth were not felt to be dangerous. dangerous. That's Alfred Adler. Yeah, like, and that's usually the reason. Like, they they feel trapped, or they didn't want to get punishment. They didn't want to get rejected. Like, mm-hmm. I would lie for those reasons too. Like, mm-hmm. like for sure I would. Um, so, and I say say that not to normalize the lying, but to show that your kid is not some like defiant psychopath liar. They just lie. That doesn't mean that they're a liar. Um, yeah, and I think I think also uh, a, a couple thoughts come to mind straight away for me. One is that I want to do everything in my power not to set my child up to lie. So in other words, if you know, um, and this of course, again, is not, this is a normal thing to do for parents to ask questions like this, uh, but it's something maybe that we could watch and that we could improve on me too. Okay. Um, But when I, you know, if I know that my kid spilled juice on the floor, why why am I going to ask them if they spilled juice on the floor? I could just say, oh, I noticed that you spilled juice on the floor. Now, what I've done is, yeah, I've confronted them and maybe I've done it calmly and kindly, but I've also, I've just avoided this added feature of like, if I ask, did you just spill juice on the floor? Now what I've done is I've given them an opportunity to lie that's unnecessary. It's an invitation. Yeah, lie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, to, more than just an opportunity, it's, it's an invitation to lie. So uh, as often as I can, I want to avoid that. Um, I think... Uh, certainly this bit about, you know, helping the truth to feel a little bit less dangerous for children, I think is a huge, huge deal. And so much of that comes from uh, modeling the courage to be imperfect. This is an idea from Alfred Adler and Rudolf Dreikers, the courage to be imperfect. Modeling that for your children, sometimes that comes in the form of an apology. We've got a whole video on offering genuine apologies. Sometimes what that looks like is... um, well, I mean, just like just the little everyday things of making mistakes and owning and taking responsibility for those mistakes so that your children can see, OK, it's not so bad uh, to, to mess up. You know, it's not so bad to to be at fault for something uh, going poorly. I think that's a big preventative measure. And then the other thing that I will say is that I find that in a lot of the families that I work with where lying is a big part of the family dynamic, there is a huge emphasis on uh, it's like everybody's a friggin' detective. Everybody has to know exactly the truth of what happened. And I think that this, I, I'm not saying that it's always unimportant, the truth of what happened, but I'm saying often it is way less important than we make it out to be. So in other words, like, let's say that, um, you know, I there's a toy on the floor and I ask one of my kids to pick it up and they blame it on the other. Well, no, Truman got that out or, oh, no, Ruby got that out. 
I, I remain as disinterested as I possibly can on how the toy ended up getting on the floor because at the end of the day, it's not so important. And again, if I make it so important, then what I'm doing is I'm inviting dishonesty from my children if, they're, if they think that there's going to be uh, something yucky that might come on the other end if they are in fact responsible. So I think those are the thoughts that are coming to mind for me, much more preventative measures, uh, in part because it's like, well, you're, I mean, there's no trick that we have to be like, yeah, now there's no more lying in the household. That's, it's going to happen. And I'm not saying that therefore that makes it okay, but I am saying, look, uh, managing that and movement towards honesty and responsibility, that's the goal rather than arriving at, you know, perfect honesty or perfect responsibility. And so if we can do that, here are the preventative ways in which maybe we can attend to that. I like that. Also preventative, like a skill that snuck in here was like if you really know like you maybe you watched your kids spill the juice or the milk um you say like hey I, I noticed that you did this uh what, what would you like to do about it and if she makes up a lie you say that doesn't sound like the truth um and sometimes people don't tell the truth because they feel scared uh they feel like they're trapped or they're going to get rejected and I'm wondering what I could do to help this feel more like a safe space for you to share that would you like a break we can come talk about it later, but like your feelings are important to me. So please let's meet up later and talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, like I, I just can't get over like going back to the mistakes and I do want to talk about mistakes. Um, it's something you can do at every mealtime and you only have to have one mealtime a day to be really connected. Mealtime or even car time if that's where all your littles are all together. Um, asking them what mistakes did you make today and letting maybe mom or dad start. Um, just to sort of normalize making mistakes. And I, I tell my kid every single time, uh, I love hearing about your mistakes. That's how we learn and grow. It's like okay, yeah. the mantra. I love hearing your mistakes. It's how we learn and grow. And I say, okay, what should we do now? What do you think? And she has ideas. Sometimes they're not so great ideas. But like sometimes they're really great and they're, they're always creative. And we figure out a solution together, even if it gets all over the floor. You know, it, it happens. Um, because at the end of the day, I want my daughter to one day know that she can call mom because I'm going to see and hear her and we'll work on our problem together. Then I don't want to call mom. Uh, yeah. Like, like I'm too scared to tell mom because she, she won't understand me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of this is about creating kind of preconditions in which honesty has the opportunity to flourish um, rather than. Uh, creating uh, some preconditions in which um, dishonesty is really adaptive. I think that's kind of uh, the approach here. Um, you know, there's probably more we could say about opting for nat logical and natural consequences rather than punishment. Sometimes punitive environments can really reinforce dishonesty. Maybe that's something we can talk about um, in another video. That's kind of a, it's a nuanced but very, very important distinction between punishments and uh, logical and natural consequences. Um, yeah, I have, I have a story that I could tell, but I think let, let's, uh, I think we have one more question. Let's, let's keep moving because this video is already getting very long. But people so wanted it. I know, but let's, let's, let's go one more. I let's keep like, moving. The more you talk about mistakes more regularly, what will happen is they will not be afraid to tell you about their, their mistakes. My daughter will come up to me with like a piece of a leaf and she's like, I made a mistake. I ripped the leaf too hard. And I'm like, oh man, what are we going to do? You know, like I love that she loves to do that. I am teaching her that failure is an option. That was not the case for me growing up. So maybe it is a little bit of an overcompensation, but in a healthy way, I think. Um, so yeah, I don't want her striving for perfectionism. Let me find the last question. Okay. How to 
make no mean no without sounding like a broken record to me or to others. Okay, uh, this one is simple, but really, really difficult. Um, it's simple in this. You say no, and that's it, per period. And you'll notice it's not that you say no multiple times. Uh, the best way to not sound like a broken record is to stop repeating yourself. Um, I, I, you know, again, simple, not easy. I, I'm not trying to minimize the difficulty of this. I say this as a person who has been a broken record all too often uh, in my family with my children. So please don't hear me shaming, but it really is that simple. Um, the key here is that uh, people will take no for an answer when you act as if your no is actually an answer. Um, barring some very, very extreme circumstances like sexual assault or something like that. And of course, I'm not trying to, you know, victim blame or put that on, on anybody. But generally, uh, apart from these very, very extreme scenarios where somebody is physically overpowering you uh, in a kind of like a, a, assaulting kind of way, um, generally when we, we do have the power to act out a no, not just to say no, but to act out a no. So like, let's say that my child is, I don't know, uh, they're, um, uh, I don't know, they're going for the cookie jar. I'm pulling this out of the sky. Let's say that they're going for the cookie jar and I don't know, they've already had a cookie and we have an agreement as a family that we get one cookie or something like this. See, like this. Okay. And I say, no, 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 no cookies. Okay. And then maybe they, they put it back in and then two minutes later, what are they doing? Okay. Rather than me now reiterating the rule, Here's what I can do. I can say, okay, I, and I'll take the cookies now. And I put them on top of the fridge or somewhere where the children can't get it. And now I don't have to say anything else. I don't need to deliver a lecture about you have to respect my nose. I don't have to be forceful about any of this. I can just act out the no. I can act out the no. And this is often, I mentioned this earlier, parents talk way too much. And this, this is me too. Uh, Rudolf Dreikers has this famous quote, for, and I'll, I'm probably going to misquote him, but it goes something like this. He had a, a thick German accent, and he was talking with the parent, and he says, everything would revolve itself, resolve itself if you would just shut your mouth. And uh, there is something to be said about this, just that we tend to talk too much and act too little. Um, so that would be kind of my take. I don't know if there's anything brief that you would want to add. What, what are you going to do with the cookie? Are you going to put it back? No, I'm going to eat it. Okay, well, <laughs> then I guess she's going to eat it. Um, and I think maybe that's the other thing is that sometimes no's underlie some power struggle about insisting upon your right to control other people's behavior. And one of the things we can realize is that we, at the end of the day, we can't control other people, but we can control ourselves. And so if we have the power to act out a no, then let's do that rather than saying no a hundred times. So... Um, this video is entirely too long already. I, well, I was going to say one more thing. Okay. Before you make any of these changes, because it seems simple, and while it's not easy, it's because you have to kind of get everybody on board uh, at the same time. So if, I don't know if you already do family meetings. We could definitely talk about those in the future. Uh, but where you talk with your kids ahead of time about what the plan's going to be, like, hey, you, you know how when we go to Trader Joe's, you like to throw a tantrum sometimes. Like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Um, and then you do it out of respect for them. Yes, they're gonna be upset with you and it is okay that they are upset with you. Um, but talk about the plan for these things. Like when your brother and sister fight, here's gonna be what I'm gonna do. That way they're not like, where the hell's mom? Like why, why is she not doing what she normally does? They'll know, they'll know because you, you talked about it with them and they know that you respect her um, and she respects you.
I, I am aware that it seems like a, a theme of this has been uh, a lot of preventative measures. And we really do believe that the, the best solution for uh, parenting challenges is to build really good parenting habits that create, again, preconditions that are going to allow for um, good cooperative dynamics in the family. So let's definitely let's follow this up. We might have a part three. Um, please do send us more questions if you have some. And, uh, and we'll just we'll make as many of these videos as we need to make uh, so long as they're helpful. So thanks for listening.